Welcome to If I Look Back, I Am Lost, a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our favorite character, Daenerys Targaryen. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. I'm Guile, Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. The rest of the ladies have closed the door and come here for some strange reason decided to let me moderate this episode, which covers Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 4, and now his watch has ended. Tonight I have with me Chicky. Hi, I'm Chicky, Chickren on Tumblr, and I am still not a Danny fan. Uh, Clotho? Hi, I'm Clotho, and I'm Clotho Spindle on Tumblr. YD? Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellowtelani on Tumblr. And we have a first-time guest with us tonight, Doxa. Hi, I'm Doxa, and I'm Doxa Mully on Tumblr. Yay, welcome, So, Doxa. welcome, everyone. Welcome. Thanks, Kyle. So, while this episode is perfect for me and the only other Danny fan in fandom, which I believe is Crystal Rose 29 <laughs> <laughs> We actually start the episode in on Jamie and Brienne, and we see Jamie riding. He's fading fast. He's sliding off of his horse. Brienne tries to warn everyone. They ignore her. Jamie falls into the mud. He tries to fight Locke and his men unsuccessfully. Brienne jumps off of her horse to help him. She's pushed around, and Locke basically beats the shit out of her and Jamie. and then tricks Jamie into drinking horse piss and threatens to cut off his other hand. Oh, sorry. Um, before we go any further, I've been reminded we have a couple of trigger warnings for tonight. Um, we have a trigger warning for rape, incest, and burnination. Burnation. <laughs> <laughs> and for Danny fans, we should do a trigger warning for Danny fans. Trigger warning. They might get too excited. might get too excited. Oh, God, this intro. You know, it's so funny. We were talking, like, what was it, two weeks ago about how there are no scenes um, from Brienne's point of view in season three. But I actually feel like this scene is from Brienne's point of view now that I'm watching it. So she's I'm meeting watching, some she's watching him so, it, with such concern, isn't she? Yeah. She really oh. is, yeah. And they keep their pan to her a lot, I noticed, they do, it, yeah. you know, the whole episode. What yeah. I want to know is, like, does Locke just carry around a can yes. of horse urine with him? Or <laughs> <laughs> he carries around a canteen of horse piss. Is it's he just the, waiting? Like, <laughs> yeah, he was just waiting for the right moment. He thought, maybe one day I could use this. Maybe I had, it, it takes so long for him to notice that it's horse piss. He's like guzzling it down and he's like <laughs> he's most way down. Then he's got a great he it out after he's told it's horse piss. I mean, I maybe like, horse piss uh, is like water. God. <laughs> it's delicious. I mean, and what about the blood puddle? You know, it's like, I, you know, I was thinking about sandwiches and her fog of contravance when I saw the mud puddle because the whole area is dry. <laughs> it's very dry. There's a nice, comfy mud puddle. It's, you know. Yeah. Well, well, they did say puddle. in the commentary how uh, they actually created that mud specifically for this scene. <laughs> Nice. Did they really? They did, yeah. Yeah, yeah Alex Graves was saying uh, it was it wasn't enough either. He was like, more, more mud, more mud for Nikolai. 
Oh, God. Nikolai likes the mud, apparently. He does. He loves to roll in it. He does. He like his eyes out there. His pretty blue eyes are and really popping. Yes. His teeth were, like, super white. <laughs> but I love this scene. I love the way that, you know, like we were talking about, I love the way that Brienne is is watching him. And it's, like, especially coming off of what happened in episode three, you know that she must be, like, wondering why the fuck he tried to help her and what's going on. And then you know that she has this natural, well, I mean, at least book Brienne really has this innate... Um, sense of empathy for people who are suffering or or being made a victim, and it's like they are very, very much making Jamie a victim here. So it's like I love the way that Gwen played this. I love the Brienne in this section. I don't know about you guys, but this is like the best for me. Yeah, I think she did a great yes. job. I think that also Nicola did a fantastic job. I mean, oh, he yeah. does in everything, but I mean. Just, he's so good at showing how much despair Jamie's actually feeling after losing his sword hand. And it's just like it is in the books, you know, he's just so completely and utterly lost and he really just wants to die. You know, he can't think of any reason to keep going. And, and you know, I think that there's a, is a slight moment and I'm sure that's just part of that is just instinct, but I love when he reached out for the sword with his right hand when he's on the ground yeah. and they knock him down. Yeah. Like it's such a little thing, but it was, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. And I love, you know, I mean, this is clearly an attempt to make these guys kill him. I mean, he doesn't think he can get away. Yeah. And it's like, ugh, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's the same in the books. I mean, he does exactly the same thing, doesn't he? He tries to fight um, thinking, you know, oh, well, I'll die, but at least I'll die fighting. I'll die with a sword in my hand. And that's Aww. exactly what he's doing here. Oh, God, it's brutal to watch. Poor Jamie. Yeah. did a great, great job translating that scene. Yeah. They really did. They really did. And I love so, how Brienne tries um, to help him too, even oh, though you know oh. she doesn't have any chance, and she starts kicking at them. Oh, she was oh. kicking people down, man. She was doing yeah, I love how she gets past like three dudes with swords, like yes. hands tied. <laughs> <laughs> She's gotta get to her boy. Oh. <laughs> so from that scene, we move on to um, what I'm gonna admit is actually my second favorite scene of the episode, which shocked me on rewatch but it's Varys and Tyrion and Tyrion mm. wants to know if Cersei was responsible for Man and Moore trying to kill him Varys claims not to know but really all he wants to do is tell Tyrion the story of his castration like that's the only thing he wants to talk about <laughs> so he gets into this long story about how he was traveling with an acting troupe he was taken by a sorcerer and chopped and they did a ritual and something answered back and he shows Tyrion that he has tracked down the sorcerer and he has him in a box and tells Tyrion if he waits long enough, he'll get revenge. And Tyrion's kind of like, I would like revenge on the actual people now. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting scene because the sorcerer in a box is a complete show invention. There is a scene between Tyrion and Varys in the books where Varys tells Tyrion um, what happened to him, but... It's different in the show. They've actually indicated here that what Varys wants, one of his motivations is revenge. He's been sort of biding his time over all these years, which is not something that he says in the books. In the books, it's just, uh, you know, uh, I don't like magic because this is what happened to me. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit – it's interesting. I mean, I don't mind the scene. I mean, I love anything between Varys and Tyrion. I think the characters are amazing together. But I, I think that Varys, as a character, works a little better when his motives remain a bit murkier. I'm not a huge fan of them kind of spelling out everything mm. that he's thinking. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
So I loved the scene in terms of the foreshadowing after in a post season five world because they did do a callback to the sorcerer or to something answering the sorcerer back with the priestess and Volantis mentioning it to you know to Varys. And then at the same time, I know that there's been the casting spoilers about um Kinvara. an acting troupe, which I think we've all well in Kinvara too, but also with mm-hmm. the acting troupe, which I think mm-hmm. we all assumed was part of Arya's storyline. Mm-hmm. But it could be here. And then we also have Marwin and we know he's very pro magic. So I felt like this actually sets up potentially good storylines three seasons three seasons later. Well, yeah, it's interesting because he said he hates magic here. So yeah. it's, it's interesting they would actually have to. He's going to have to, you know, use them to a certain extent. Like what that's all about, you know. Well, and the way that they set this up, you know, this actually is a carryover from I think an episode or two before Blackwater in season two. Yeah. Varys is talking to Tyrion and and kind of mentions something about when he was cut and they get cut off or Tyrion isn't paying attention or something. Uh, Um, Is it, is it Blackwater? Is it from Blackwater? I can't remember. Uh, I feel like it is from Blackwater or maybe just prior to Blackwater. Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling that the showrunners fell as much in love with, with um, the show's version of Varys as most of us have. I mean, Conleth Hill is phenomenal mm. as show Varys and show Varys is kind of his own entity. And he is one of the greatest things about game of Thrones to me. I mean, he really works well and yes. Yeah. I do appreciate that they have kind of woven him into the lore. And like you were talking about Guile, yes, even into season six, we're seeing with the Kinvara thing. I think Kinvara actually references whatever it is that the, that is said from those flames when, when Varys was castrated in, in season six in, in some of the spoiler stuff that we saw. So yeah, this is an ongoing thing, and I I kind of love that they've held on to this. I mean, if you consider how little screen time Conleth Hill has had as Varys, it's amazing what they've done with this character. It's it's really really one of the high points of Game of Thrones to me. So what do you yeah. guys think that the voice said? God, who knows? Hodor. It's probably something that's key to something important, you know, because it's, I would hope, you know, it sounds like it's something mysterious and no important clue. It does. I mean, surely we'll find out. They've been talking about it for a while now. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm always, uh, I'm always a bit dubious about these scenes that tend to have payoff later on in the series as to whether they were actually planned out that way or whether it was just a happy coincidence. <laughs> Well, I wonder. Oh, yeah, I know. That's why this was so shocking. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I didn't pick. You know, it's it's the same thing. When I was watching this, I was like, "Wow, there's like a whole new level to this." Especially listening to the last podcast where you all were discussing, you know, this exact thing. You know, and then hit. You know, it was pretty cool. So from King's Landing, we go north of the Wall, and we have Ed and Gren, Ed and Gren, and they're shoveling shit and bitching about work. Basically, they're my spirit animals. They're I alive. Love them so much. Uh, they're alive, and I love them. Um, Rast is hanging out, and he's super pissed. <sighs> Sam goes to visit Jilly and her baby, and Jilly, I kind of Jilly's pretty cool here. She basically tells Sam she doesn't have any time for him because her baby doesn't have any time, and every second she he has is her she's going to give to him instead. Yeah. Sam can't really say anything to help her. Yeah, I love that. I love that, um, you know, Gilly is all about her baby. You know, she doesn't have time for Sam or his really lame thimble gifts. She's she's far more interested <laughs> in the actual well-being of her child, which is nice to see on Game of Thrones. It's quite rare. It's realistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
and Sam is definitely her, you know, Sam is kind of a child as well, so. True. She's kind of one child right now, Sam. <laughs> I love her already when, it, like, <laughs> yeah. she, like, Go tells on. him to be quiet, and then he just says, he's beautiful, but just as loud, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, in yeah. a whisper voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> he has no inside all. so the next scene is another one that definitely has some foreshadowing to it and it starts with bran running and he's chasing the three-eyed raven and dream jojen tells him he has to go after him so bran bran starts to climb a tree and then we see catelyn stop him and she starts to grow increasingly manic and then finally bran falls and it's a mirror image of his fall from the broken tower in the fir- in the very first episode. And then he wakes up and looks over at Jojen, who clearly knows what happened. Oh, man. How good is Michelle Fairley? Like, oh, yeah. She has, what, about 10, 20 seconds of screen time for this dream? And mm. she just, oh, God, she gives her scene so much legitimacy. Like, it's just incredible, you know? She's, she's literally in the scene for just, I don't know, half a minute. And you get this immediate sense of like surreal foreboding it's so dreamlike and creepy and i love and, the way yeah. they dreams i really love the way that they're doing the dreams in game of thrones um which kind of makes me sad for all the other dreams we're not going to see because i actually oh, feel like the show would do yeah. justice yeah. it's weird because i think when i first saw this i sort of assumed that it was um foreshadowing of lady stoneheart and you know, seeing it again, it's like, oh, no, it's foreshadowing, you know, that moment in the Red Wedding when she's, you know, mm. screaming at Rob, essentially. Yes. Um, yeah. You know what I took but away from little- this? It's funny. I just kept thinking, the, I, I had never noticed before how she says, promise me, promise me. But it reminded me so much of Leanna Ooh, talking yeah. to Ned. Promise it's me, the power of joy. Promise me, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> promise me, nerd. <laughs> promise me, nerd. Shout out to Ion Trone, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> promise me, nerd. <laughs> I love that, too. Well, yeah, Doug, um, do you think that that's some sort of indication that Bran is going to have a vision about the Tower of Joy? I mean, it no. seems a little bit obscure, <laughs> I mean, but... He might, he might, but no, <laughs> I don't think that's what this is. <laughs> hey, when it happens, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, that has made me curious who's going to be the person that's going to be thinking of that, you know, when it does happen. So. Mm. Mm. Well, I think it has to be Bran or Howland Reed, and I haven't seen no. you know any sign of Howland Reed. So Ian McShane is playing Howland Reed, <laughs> maybe. <Yes, Cara. laughs> so we um, we move from Bran to Varys again, and he's talking to Roz, and I think I'm sure we all probably felt the same thing, which was like, "Oh, Roz, I miss you." Or at least oh. I did. Um, they're talking about Pod's bedroom escapades. Oh, God and. <laughs> Roz gives the kind of lame, they can't describe it, blah, blah, blah. I think we all have our theories. Um, But then Roz reveals the real reason for her conversation, which is that she tells Varys that Littlefinger is plotting to take Sansa with him to the Vale. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just a brief exposition-y type scene. Um, But I just... (laughs) God, the writers really thought they had a stroke of brilliance with the whole pod sex oh, god, god thing. God, they're dragging it out. Oh, like, because a teenage boy who has no access to the internet would know exactly what to do to amaze <laughs> three world-weary prostitutes. I mean... Are you saying that a teenage boy with access to the internet would know? <laughs> well, he might have fighting chats, but this, I mean, how on earth would pod know anything about sex? Like, and why would, like, Roz and Varys give a shit? You know, honestly, my eyes were rolling yeah. so far back in my head. I was like, really? It's just felt off yeah <laughs> i 
I'm just sure waiting for me to hear it again. <laughs> Enough already. I think he just never even slept with them, and they're all just covering up. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but anyway, we move from there to Joffrey giving Marjorie a tour of the Sept, and Joffrey is in, like, Joffrey heaven, because he's basically describing in great detail all of the gruesome ways that the Sept Targaryens died. Jack Gleeson, like he was just so enthusiastic about how everyone's died and where all the truth. This is clearly his favorite part of history. Uh, Well, there's a great, there's one great shot of um, kind of. It almost looks like a grate that they're shooting up so that you see their faces through it, and you see Joffrey's Mm -hmm. delight, and then you kind of see Marge drop the mask for a second Um, Mm -hmm. when you see it. She's just obviously going along for it. Um, at, you know, while the kids are talking about death, um, Olena and Cersei are chatting, and Olena's talking about how men are stupid and why aren't women in charge. And, you know, Cersei's actually kind of dismissive of her and won't give her anything back. Um, Marjorie urge, urges Joff to greet the crowds, and they, you know, Joffrey decides to. The crowds love, 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 love Marjorie, and I think by extension they will accept Joffrey, but Cersei, you can see that she's clearly terrified for Joffrey. Mm. Mm. What's interesting in this scene actually is when Cersei and Elena are talking, there is actually a brief moment where you see a little bit of of genuine Cersei shine through when they're discussing that, you know, the world is 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 for men, it belongs to men. And you can see just that little bit in in Lena Headey's face shift. Yeah. Um and you, you can sort of see how Cersei's thinking about her place in society and how desperately jealous she is of of the men in the world. And it's it's actually played really beautifully by both women. Like there's this whole scene is everyone is pretty much playing a, a role except for Joffrey, who I don't think has the ability to play anyone else. But yeah, I mean it's it's very much a, a power play kind of thing. But it was nice to see that little genuine moment and then you see Cersei realise that maybe she's just given a little bit too much away and her face shifts back to sort of I actually took it as Olena was kind of feeling Cersei out like a we we know you know and I know that Joffrey's a shit show but are you can we work around him like will you work with us around him and her answer was no and that certainly led to you know the Tyrell's decisions yeah Maybe I'm, I, you know, I don't know. I will readily admit I could be reading way too much into it, but isn't I that what of, we do, Guile? Isn't that what we do? It is. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I yeah. also think it's interesting how they were talking about Robert, and I definitely got the feeling that Olena knew exactly what was up, which is kind of obvious, yeah. but still, she mm-hmm. knew what happened. Oh, yeah. Like, totally. She had her Does number. Anyone again? not know that like those kids are not Roberts? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so um our next scene is we move to the north and we have theon and ramsey and they're riding to what theon thinks is um yara at deepwood mott and theon's basically hemorrhaging truths at this point he tells ramsey that he had a choice and he chose wrong and that ned was his real father and he lets it slip that he didn't kill bran and rickon which you see ramsey definitely has a little bit of a reaction to they sneak into the castle Ramsay lights a torch, and we see the trademark Bolton cross. Ramsay tells the others that Theon escaped and killed all the other men, and they put Theon back up. Sucks to be Theon. 
Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, you know me, it's Theon. These scenes break my heart. Like, when Theon is talking about how, you know, his real father, Ned, lost his head in King's Landing and he's sort of lamenting the fact that he should have done things differently. You can... He's talking about his own family, like the Greyjoys, and you can really just feel all that resentment and confusion and sadness with every word he's saying. Um, And all he wants is just to belong somewhere so desperately. He just desperately wants to be accepted, and he's never been able to find it. Um, And it's this lack of a sense of belonging, really, that sent him on what is essentially a path to hell. I mean, we know what's going to happen. Oh, man. Breaks my heart. Yeah, this is kind of like... issues with this. Yeah, I do too. I was going to say, this is kind of like peak (laughs) show, Theon. I mean, like, I I appreciate what they're doing. I mean, they they do grab some kind of thoughts that Theon has. I don't know, it's been a while since I reread Theon's (laughs) dance chapters, which is also code for. I've never really reread his dance chapters because I couldn't stand it. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the, the Theon of the show as kind of his own, his own iteration of Theon. And this is some of the peak of, of Theon, not only Theon, but also Alfie Allen. I mean, these are some really great heartbreaking moments here. And, and this definitely is part of show Theon, this, this moment of, of, you know, self-doubt, not only self-doubt, but also kind of self-awareness, which is, is kind of not something you see a lot from, from book Theon. Um, and, and so I appreciate it in that way. I appreciate it as a show thing, but yeah, it, it is kind of tough. I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a little bit of a divorce from book Theon in some way. So it, it's a little tough for me, but at the same time, I understand it's, it is really good and it is moving to watch just kind of in its own right. I mean, I don't know that it is necessarily um, any sort of significant departure from Book Theon because, I mean, I don't know whether or not he would necessarily have said that about Ned specifically, but I think Book Theon certainly does have regrets about what he did to the stars, particularly about Rob. I mean, we know in Dance he talks about how he should have been there with Rob, he should have been there for him, he should have died with him. Um, so I don't necessarily have, have well, an I issue. Well, I guess my with- issue there is we see him do that after he's broken by Ramsay, and that's not the theme. Yeah. Well, here. he's already... Maybe they're pulling it forward a little. I think that's yeah. what they're doing. I think they're pulling it forward yeah. to uh, perhaps... Um, create a little more empathy for Theon at an earlier stage, but he's already undergone torture. So yes, whilst he may not have broken yet, he may not be weak. I don't think that that's necessarily um, hugely out of character for Theon. He certainly I mean, has it in him. Do you all think there's more to like? And I don't know if this is just a, a preference. Like they like the character, they started to develop it more. It seems like it's really they're really made him stand out more than he does to at least maybe that's just me that he stands out in the book so i'm wondering is there more to him to come like is there some bigger role that he has that i never you know really thought Mm -hmm. of yeah with you or is it just i feel like (laughs) Theon's really gotten his redemption already in the books i'm not i'm not really sure how much more they would have in store for him i mean personally i think theon's gonna make it to the end there are a lot of theories that theon's gonna die like immediately he's in pretty dire peril um, you know, where we leave him in, in dance and then even into some of the winds spoiler chapters, he, you know, it's like, Oh, Theon's going to die soon. I actually think Theon's going to be one of the people who make it all the way through to the end. Um, it, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a good the show question. Gives him so much time. Well, he George gives him, gives so him a lot time. of time. George gives him a lot of time in dance okay. after not, after not seeing him since, since clash. That's and, true. 
Um, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what the plan is, but I have a feeling that yes, there is something in store for Theon. I think he is going to further claim redemption with an actual Stark would be my guess. And um, what what that will be or, or how it will manifest, I'm not really sure. But that would be my he guess. He's going to find Rickon in Skagos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can break nuts together. <laughs> I just think there's so much evidence, too, that um, Bloodraven and Bran are kind of pulling the strings on Theon a little bit. I ask, you know, why? Why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. Um, What's, you know, what there has to be a reason. I mean, that might be fairly optimistic of me to think that there has to be a reason, but I'm going with it. I do think that it would be, I I was just going to say, I do think that it would be be sort of anticlimactic to have Theon survive all of this and then just to kill him off. I don't I certainly don't think they're about to kill him off within the next book or so. Yeah, and just looking at what Asha you know, Asha would like to get him back to kind of reboot the King's Moot and, you know, there there are kind of the theories about the captain's daughter that he slept with <laughs> before. Oh, right. Did he knock <laughs> he her out? Boss. Did he knock her out? There are a lot of theories there. I think oh, there are a lot of places yeah. that his story can go and, and continue oh, yeah. on. I mean, it looks bleak at this moment in the books, but clearly, I mean, it's just like when we talk about Brienne's chapters, it's like, you know, George doesn't throw away seven or eight chapters in a book that's already so bursting that he's yeah. having to yeah. pull stuff out for the next yeah. the next book, you know, for no reason. It, you know, Theon's chapters well, are there for a reason. That's my only concern is that, I mean, we know that George is going to have to start killing off main characters. Um, if he's gonna, if, if there's any end in sight for this series, so well, the great thing I'm, about I'm, I'm gonna is... say I'm a little bit concerned that he is building something up for some of these characters, and then these threads may be dropped for the sake of of finishing the story. Well, I feel slightly better Never about finishing the story. I feel slightly <laughs> better, but I feel slightly better about POVs where they're converging and. Theon and Asha yep. have converged. So since there's a yeah. convergence, he really doesn't uh-huh. need to kill someone. He's already eliminated a, a POV or the space of an extra POV. That's even true. if he swaps back and forth. Or forward, he'll so. just kill both of them. He could kill them both. I mean, it's George. You never know. <laughs> I like how optimistic I am. <laughs> so um, our next scene is we're back with Jamie and Brienne. And this is pretty much Jamie at rock bottom. He's broken. And Brienne is watching him. She's obviously very concerned. She asks, she asks what he's doing. He tells her that he's dying. She tells him he has to eat. And then this is probably everyone's like least favorite Brienne, uh, Brienne moment of the season. Uh, she tells Jamie that he's a coward and that he's acting like a bloody woman. Yeah, look, that's, um, that's a pretty un like thing to say. At least a, a, an un-book Brienne-like thing to say. Yeah, it, it made me cringe a little on rewatch. You know, It, it does like, make me uh-huh. cringe. And, you know, a few weeks ago we we actually received a question um, about whether we thought Brienne was a feminist. And we kind of came to the consensus that whilst we can't really define Brienne as a feminist according to modern definitions, she is something of a champion of equality and she really does have this you know, a great deal of respect for women. So to see her use the term woman in a derogatory sense, especially with such disdain in her voice, like she just, Mm. you know, it seemed pretty out of character for me. So it kind of let down the entire scene for me because in the books, it's such a great Jamie and Brienne scene. I mean, it's... It's one of my favourites, yeah. Obviously, they can't interview the 
a lot of it, you know, we didn't we didn't get Jamie's inner angsty poet, you know, why would the stars want to put on such yeah. a thing? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's one of those moments that show just how well Jamie and Brienne understand each other and Brienne knows exactly what to say to get Jamie fired up enough to want to continue living. And she calls him a craven, you know? And that's something that Jamie Lannister definitely is not. Um, she's telling him to live and to fight and to take revenge. And she knows that that is what will prompt Jamie out of this, I guess, suicidal um, frame of mind of his. So, yeah, for to have the show kind of change uh, the impetus for, for Jamie then deciding he wants to live, um, to be Brienne telling him to stop sounding like a bloody woman you know it's actually fairly offensive i think to 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 everyone and to the characterizations of, of both jamie and brienne yeah well, i think another like thing that, about, oh, go ahead doxa oh um i was gonna say another thing about that line um and i don't mean to like be controversial but there's some people i've seen who interpret brienne as transgendered and i think a lot of it has to do from that one line and i mean that's fine people can interpret her how they wish but i don't think that's like the intended interpretation and i think the show kind of led people on the wrong track there yeah i agree with you the show actually dropped a few lines that i think kind of kind of have led to a lot of that interpretation of Brienne. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm about to get kicked out of fandom again. I actually don't like the direction that Gwen took this scene. Um, uh, it's a, her delivery here doesn't work terribly well for me. Um, I, I like the scene. I don't, I don't completely hate the scene, but I, I never have completely understood her delivery here. It's a little, um, a little loud. I feel. I feel like this needed to be a, a quieter, softer moment. And I yes, think it was just I think one of those you're right. I agree. I remember right. thinking when I was watching, it's abrasive. It was too yeah. abrasive. I thought for what was actually happening in the scene, it felt a little and off. She, and then yeah. Nikolai, I think, was was right on. He was right on the moment, but He's it felt a little generally off right on. There is look. There is one part of this scene that I did like, and that is. When Brienne does get a little bit quieter and she looks at Jamie and she says, why did you help me? Because it's very similar to the way that Brienne asked Jamie why he came back for her after he saved her in the bear pit in the books. Um, and I think we talked about it when we discussed that chapter way, way back when. Um, about how it is so Brienne, you know, she's she's so amazed that someone would try to, to help her, to risk their life, to actually help her. She's got such a complete lack of self-worth. Um, I did like that they included a little something into the books, especially uh, from that from that section of the books, especially since we don't actually get that um, sort of aftermath of the bear pit. Yeah, there's really no question they were trying at least to kind of channel a little bit of book stuff here with the dialogue. I just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess what I wish for from Gwen, I, I should probably try to pinpoint it if I'm going to criticize it. I think what I wish for is vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yeah. Sorry, I've <laughs> got two things going over here. But <laughs> I think a little vulnerability would have maybe worked a little better here. Um, I'm saying quieter. I mean, who knows what the delivery needs to be. But I think that's what's missing mm. for me in this scene. I, I needed to see a Brienne who, 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 who genuinely was was 
I don't know, surprised and couldn't understand it. And that, you know, there's such a, there's such a, there's a little bit of a um, world weariness to Gwen, I think herself, that sometimes comes through in Brienne that I don't feel as terribly yeah. Brienne. And this is one of those times. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that it's just something that it will never quite encapsulate the atmosphere of the book because Gwen mm-hmm. is older than Brienne because she is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just don't, I just don't think it's something that, yeah, it's it tough. would be too difficult for someone of her age, I think, to... It may be, yeah. And I imagine to a certain extent, every actor's got to decide how they're going to build up the background of their character and how they're going to play it from. And I don't think she could shift. At this point, it seems like the trajectory... Yeah, You know, you I'm know, not saying true. that it's going to totally color things, but I think she's so entrenched in it that I don't know that she could play some of that stuff, yeah. even if... Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's not just Gwen in a way. I do think the writing has been yeah. very up and down for her. It's not been consistent. Um, they've tried to inject some of that vulnerability in certain scenes, and we saw some of that in season five where we had Brian telling Pod about what happened to her with Renly yeah. at the ball. But I feel like... I did. I actually really felt that scene. I felt for Brienne. Um, but I think when you look at her arc overall and the way her character's been written throughout the series, it has been very up and down and it makes those kind of more vulnerable moments, I guess, a bit harder to um, accept as part of Brienne's character. And time will tell yeah. with season six because they have a yeah. big opportunity. That they would be do. a perfect opportunity do, to bring yeah. this in. They well, totally could. Knows. I think they still could. You know? Gwen is becoming more nuanced by the That's, episode. Yeah, I mean, she, she has better. grown so much as an actor since she started Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, true. I guess I personally would love to see the, the earnestness and the vulnerability of Brienne, and I, I just rarely see any of it and this is one of those times where I feel like the scene was written for it but it mm-hmm. just didn't it just fell flat somehow so yeah I mean I, I, I don't hate the scene I do love the scene and no. like you said YD I mean Nikolai is I, mm. I don't know what more you could ask for from Nikolai in this scene he is amazing yeah he's fantastic Ugh. So our next scene is we have Cersei sitting and watching while Tywin writes a letter, and he's in no hurry to finish. He's making her wait. She asks him what they're doing to get Jamie back, and Tywin assures her that if he'd start a war for Tyrion, he'll do whatever he can for Jamie. Um, at that point, Cersei, for some reason, decides to throw Tyrion and Jamie under the bus and basically tells Tywin that they suck and that <laughs> she shouldn't be ignored because for she's some a reason. Is that reason because she's Cersei? <laughs> Because <laughs> she's Um Tywin tells her that his disregard has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman, but just because she's not as smart as she thinks she is. Here's my favorite part of the scene is Cersei warns him about the Tyrells. Tywin says the Tyrells are their <laughs> That is so obvious to me every time I watch that scene. It is because it's, it's basically one mispronunciation of the name after the other. You just don't... <laughs> oh god oh. and Cersei tra- yeah Cersei tells him Marge has her hooks in Joffrey and you know Tywin's frankly cool with that because someone needs to have their hooks in Joffrey <laughs> and Cersei is like you should try to stop him from doing something he wants and Tywin says he will so dun, dun, dun. daddy's home <laughs> I love Tywin I miss him so much oh my oh, god oh man 
Me too. <laughs> you know what? He did he did serve an important function, didn't he? Especially in some yeah. of this King's Landing stuff. But yeah. This is a this is a this is a great show scene. I mean I I kind of appreciate this scene, especially considering who show Cersei is. Like it really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a cooler, more calculated Cersei. This this is not necessarily a, a book Cersei. Book Cersei would probably be railing about making a point like this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But but as it is, I mean, how can you hate anything that is is Lena Headey and and Charles Dance playing against one another like this? I mean, you just can't. It's just too good. This is like one of many Charles Dance scenes where he's writing a letter this season too. Oh, like, yeah. and if you oh, didn't, yeah. like, they were actually talking about it in the commentary. Um, commentary for this episode was Alex Graves, Lena Headey, and uh, Diana Rigg. Uh, and Alex Graves was discussing how Charles Dance was writing during the initial take of this scene whilst uh, Lena was talking and it was sort of interfering with the audio. So he told him, you know, oh, could you maybe just sort of tone down the writing while she's talking? So Charles Dance actually about a split second before Lena would start talking, he would stop writing and then immediately start writing every time she stopped talking. It was like, I don't know. <laughs> worked, worked, whatever they did. He is a professional. He is a, he is a consummate. <laughs> yes. And speaking of professionals, our next scene oh, is, um, <laughs> wow. Um, is Elena and she is uh, hanging out in her garden, which I think like 90% of her scenes in this season and season four are, are. and she's mocking one of her granddaughter's embroidery. And you know, she has a good point right. growing strong. Their words do kind of suck in comparison. I love that Elena hates roses almost as much as Brienne does. <laughs> yeah. They have a lot in common. I think um, <laughs> Varys comes to visit her and they banter back and forth, clearly like enjoying each other quite a bit. Wait, go on. Can Varys. I interrupt you for a sec? Was that yeah. Cheese Boy in the background? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it. I was like, is that Cheese Boy in the background? <gasps> we had oh, this discussion okay. when the season was airing, too. I think we were having this discussion during the season. Oh, were we? <laughs> yes. I wonder what kind of cheese he was serving. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Oh my god, I have to watch again because you know I love my cheese. I know you do. <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Oh. So anyway, Varys, Varys gets to the point, which is about Sansa, and he's basically claiming that he's a big old humanitarian and he just wants what's best for Sansa, which is bullshit. Um, I think Elena sees through that, and basically it comes down to Varys doesn't want Littlefinger to have Sansa, and surely Elena could come up with some better use for her. Mm. let the plotting commence you know there are two really good lines in this scene <laughs> the first one is when Olena is uh, explaining uh, to Varys why trying to seduce her would be fairly pointless and she says what happens when the non-existent bumps against the decrepit <laughs> um, <laughs> which like really brought to mind some really vivid imagery of like a Kendall trying to hump something <laughs> <laughs> I love to. I love the way Conlefield played that, where he kind of like slightly moves his hands and looks down at his. This is hilarious. <laughs> um, and the other line, which is a more serious line, was uh, when they're discussing Littlefinger, and Varys says um, he would watch his country burn if he could be king of the ashes. I thought that was. Which- it's, See, and it yeah. just pisses me off because it's not like Book Varys literally, literally is letting the country burn so that <laughs> his chosen can be the king of the ashes. Well, yeah, but he doesn't know that. 
He thinks it's for the great little finger. Oh, little, little finger knows it. I mean, uh, I there knows it. Yeah. Um, you uh, know, I've got to say, um, that line is actually not dissimilar to something that Jamie says, um, when he's giving his monologue in the bathhouse, um, where he talks about Robert and Eris, um, and he says, oh, let him be, say? Let, yeah, him let, be let you be king over uh, charred bones and cooked yep. meat. Yeah, yeah, so similar to that. And Danny overhears that in the House of the Undying, like those exact words. So I mean, that mm-hmm. that phrase is definitely repeated in a key. Yeah. yeah. So the next scene is like, well, I think one of the last ones of this episode of two characters together, like basically the episode was like 80% two character scenes and then some action at the end. But Sansa's praying and Marge comes to visit and pulls the Joff car to get the guards to leave them alone. Marge is in like full on flirt mode, right. hip swing. Get a brain, guys. so hard with Sansa. <laughs> talking about their cousin Ella and that when Marge is queen, Sansa can come to Highgarden as Loras' wife. And Sansa's clearly very down with this plan. Like, I don't know if it's that she wants to be married to Loras at this point or if she wants to be married to Marge. It's both. Marge is selling it and Sansa's buying. Let's just say that. Salsa. She was so happy. Oh, right. I'm getting tired of this. Oh, it's Sansa where me. she's like got some form of happiness dangled in front of her only for it to be cruelly yeah. snatched away. God. And, and Marjorie. Oh, my God. Natalie. Like, I... I was, you know, I wasn't the, probably the only person, but I wasn't the biggest fan of her the first, wa- you know, time I watched all this through. And on the rewatch, I'm really appreciating Marjorie and how she's playing her. Oh, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> I've I've always thought she was fantastic. I think she's doing an amazing job. I think um, we should probably give a little shout out to Sophie Turner as well. I think she. Um, she she she's really good at uh, crying. I have to say on cue, but yeah, she really sells it. She really um, you really get that sense of oh yes, now everything's going to be okay. Things are finally turning out okay for me. And then obviously, it's like you can see rainbows and unicorns like flying much. out of her eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, baby oh yeah, even more devastating since we know uh, she's got a really shitty road ahead of her. Poor salsa. Poor salsa. So we move from King's Landing back up um, to Craster's Keep, and Lord Commander Mormont is presiding over the funeral of Bannon. And he says Bannon died from a broken leg, and Brass corrects him and says, nope, he died because Craster's starving them. Craster basically confirms this by telling Mormont to leave, that he can't wait for his wounded before they leave. He should kill him or leave him for Craster to kill. Um, Carl Tanner's inside at this point, and he is, like, literally shaking with rage, and he calls Craster a bastard. Craster threatens to kill the next man that calls him a bastard, and Carl doubles down and calls him a daughter-fucking-wildling bastard. So, Craster's pretty pissed, and he comes at Carl, Carl stabs him, shit goes down. That's hilarious because my entire note for this scene is she goes down. <laughs> so, like, how long were they there? Because it seems like they were starving really, really fast. It's like they went from one to like Lord of the Flies. And I was just curious, like this to the first men. I mean, they had, they're starving like on I mean, the way they were there. So hungry that okay. like. Don't- Dollars Ed kept it real. He was like, you never knew Bannon could spell so good. I mean, that's how hungry he is. But it did feel like they'd been there a while. Do we have to talk about it? Do we have to say it? What? Why is Sam so? Why is Sam still so fat? If they're all starving? 
<laughs> That's why they're all starving, Gail. Sam was taken into the cupboard. <laughs> Uh, this is such a rough so, scene to um, watch though yeah i mean you know mormont gets you know mormont gets killed which basically everyone behind the scenes at game of thrones is basically sobbing because they all have such huge man crushes on james cosmos there it was good i mean you know what was good about this scene um i think the directing was good i think the editing presumably was good too it's i mean i think it's a concern in these scenes where there's a lot of fighting and a lot of chaos that uh, things can kind of get lost in the in the fray, so to speak. So I think it's a credit to the director of the episode, um, just that, you know, it is very chaotic, it is very um, frenetic, but you can still understand exactly what's happening. So I think, yeah, it's nicely done, at least in that respect. I liked that when Sam, you know, Sam flees and grabs Gilly and the baby. And I kind of like that Gilly's like, yep, I'm out of here. <laughs> like, no hesitation. She is gone. <laughs> yeah, Which I appreciate, appreciate that I, You know, she and I actually, really dally. Oh, yeah, I, she wanted to go. So. I have to say, I love the ending that Craster got. I love that someone called him out and he, and he got, it was oh, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. satisfying, I have to say. Um, but yeah, watching watching James Cosmo do this last moments of, of Commander Mormon is is really tough and really sad. And um, uh. it's you know it's probably better in a way that they didn't include uh, how it ends in the books with him lying on Sam's lap and telling mm-hmm. Sam, um, you know, oh my son Jorah, tell him to take the black, oh, tell him God. I forgive him. <laughs> that would have just made it oh, <laughs> exponentially worse. So after that happy scene, um, <laughs> we are with the Brotherhood Without Banners, and they're leading Arya, Gendry, and Sander to their cave. Uh, Thoros offers Arya some booze. She doesn't want it, but Gendry does. He's totally like trying to be one of the dudes. They're broing it up. Um, they bring Sander in and reveal their leader. It's Beric Dondarrion. Sander thinks this is freaking hilarious, and he mocks them all as nothing but peasants. Um, but Beric, I, Beric, excuse me does a really nice job of basically stating their purpose. They're the defenders of the weak against the great houses. Um, they try to put a lot of atrocities on Sander, like all of the stuff that went down in the Riverlands, the murders of the Targaryen children. And I think Sander has a good point that, you know, they can't kill him for being a Clegane. Then Arya speaks up about Micah's murder. Sander says Joff ordered him to do it. Should he be punished for following a prince's orders? Um, Beric says it'll be trial by combat. Sander mocks them all, wondering who will fight him, and suggesting that Arya is the bravest one there. Beric agrees, but says that he'll be fighting him. Dun dun dun. Uh, so, um, Beric, uh, Beric looks a little different than last we saw. He's, uh, <laughs> he's aged terribly. <laughs> I guess dying a few times really does change a man into a completely different actor. Yeah, when was that? Like 107 or somewhere like that? 106? Oh, we last saw. Yeah, yeah, really. Last saw Beric. Um, yeah, this is a, such a cool scene, though. Like the set, like the oh, fact yeah. that they actually did a cave, I love. They didn't have to do that, and they did it. And well, you know what else they did is they actually did use fire to light the scene. There wasn't any other lighting, which, good job, because I think it looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did anyone watch the commentary? Because I vaguely remember something yeah. about the commentary where they were talking about how hot it was. Yeah, well, I think yeah. they. I think that's probably actually in the next episode when we actually get to the Hound and Beric's fight. Uh, the actual fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chloe. No, you go on. You go on. I was just going to say, I really liked the framing of the Brotherhood without banners here. Like, they are really kind of the Robin Hood of the series. And it's so refreshing to see it now, to see, like, people that are actually sort of trying to do something good. When I feel like, you know, in the last couple of seasons, we've got bogged down in people that are just either trying to survive or are just horrendous human beings. Yeah, yeah. I have a good feeling about this Brotherhood Without Banners. Well, that's, yeah. what, that's what I was going to say. That ties into what I was going to say, that it's so cool to see it, but they built it up like it was going to be, like he said, you know, we'll hunt you down at this mm-hmm. big speech. It totally seemed like it, like you've said all said before, it seemed like it was going somewhere. And that's why it's kind of like, I, I don't know if they'll bring it back, but it, it could have been something it would have been a lot better than Dorn. It would have been a lot better than Martha. <laughs> well, I mean, we know that there's casting for, um, I guess, outlaws. Mm-hmm. I mean, have we? Yeah, we don't. I mean, we don't know. Obviously, we don't. I mean, know it would be there. incredibly disappointing if they revisited the Brotherhood without banners and didn't bring back the Thoros and and even the Barrett character at this point, since as far as we know, he's yeah. not dead. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think but it would be good. Balance. Yeah, balance but they, good. along with you know the Angai, the Angai character really did make this kind of sparkle is is kind of the term that I would use. I mean, these were really kind of sweeping moments in season three and, and um, yeah, I, I, if they do revisit the, the brotherhood, I would certainly hope that they would kind of recapture some of this and bring back some of the cast, frankly. Yeah. Mm. So we're here, you guys, this is the scene that I have been waiting for. Danny <laughs> and her posse roll into the plaza in Astapor with uh, Drogon Missende, et cetera. They go up to Crazy Crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this might not be the most canon interpretation of it. Um, they go up to Crazy Crazy. Crazy Crazy's like, yo, give me your dragon. He gives her the whip to control the unsullied. He basically is, doesn't pay attention to her when she gets the whip. She yells out a couple of orders in High Valerian to the unsullied who immediately obey her. The only person that everyone's kind of transfixed with the dragon. So Missendi is the only one who notices, and we have that great shot of her, mm. her head, uh, her head moving to notice Dan to see Danny doing that. Danny commands the Unsullied to kill everyone. Essentially, they they go to town. Krazy is pissed that Drogon won't come to him. Danny tells him that a dragon is not a slave, and Dracarys is, is him. <laughs> and what it's a verb it could be and shit goes down and Astapor uh, the Unsullied kill everyone Drogon kills everyone however Jorah and Barristan basically do nothing other than hang out with Masende <laughs> yeah they just stand there so this they is, really do this is peak show Danny right here this is her moment uh, this is her moment in so the sun yeah, it is her is, time to shine it is such a <laughs> fuck yeah moment um, I saw this before I had read the books I started reading the books not long after this actually um, and it was just I remember I don't remember much about that time but I remember this scene I remember absolutely loving it um, 
God, it's it's just everything is on point, I think. Like even Amelia, her acting, I don't know, she somehow seems to act better when what? She, when she's speaking in a made up language. <laughs> I don't I don't know what that is. Um but yeah, it's you know, Danny taking charge. It's as you were saying, girl, the way that Miss Sanday looks at Krasnus when Danny starts speaking Valerian and she's like, you know, oh, you're gonna get yours. Um <laughs> And even look on Jorah's face when the Unsullied then get behind Danny after she frees him and yeah. all the effects. It's just beautifully done. It's one of the really, really standout big moments of the show. It's mm. kind of like the first time that Jorah looks at her and maybe has that fleeting thought of, she might be out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> you think he thought he had yeah. a shot before then? <laughs> I think he thought he had a shot, and now he's kind of now he's starting to doubt. Like, oh, you know, maybe not. You know what? <laughs> you know, I'm Danny. I'm glad that Danny finally got her army because now she can head to Westeros, right? Right. Well, I know. This should be happening like next episode. I mean, that's where they're going. Clearly. Actually, the funny thing about that is there is um, a moment in the corresponding book chapter where uh, Krasnus or one of the other masters, because I think there's like eight of them in the book. Books of the Unsullied. Um, they tell Danny if she comes back in a year that they can give her more Unsullied. And Danny thinks to herself, "Oh, I'll be in Westeros in a year." George R. Oh, R. Man. Person. George R. R. Martin probably thought that. Oh, I'll have that book yeah. written in a year. She is Danny. That's a great comparison. <laughs> in the commentary where Alex Graves talks about how they had so many extras in this scene and they kept breaking out into fights, like actual fist fights during takes. So they had to keep firing extras and they went from like, I don't know, 350 extras down to 200 by the end of the end of the shoot. So they kept like just leaving because it was hot out too. Like, they would just wander off. It was hot, yeah. So just, well, I like the pajama wearing masters. They look pretty chill. But I love that. Like the Don Johnson one that gets it first. That's <laughs> poor advice. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic scene. I I honestly I can't really think of any quibbles. Um, I have I quibbles, was, but I'll in honor of Gal, I'll let them go, and we'll just enjoy yeah, it because you know, it is a pretty great scene. Because yeah, honestly, like my, I do have a few quibbles about the scene, which you know I, I went just for me. I kind of felt like like the un, it was kind of fakey, and it's clear they didn't really have the budget that they have now to do it. So we have like mm. a couple unsullied like flexing and you know that's about it i should have so actually have any significant quibbles obviously there's always little minor things right. that you don't love you know i went back and i actually read the book scene and i actually felt like the book scene was a little bit underwritten and i think you know it was so that you can imagine it more in your head and i kind of like it made me think oh you know i actually think the show scene also has that bit of a feel to it. Like it, it lets me, it lets the scene breathe a little bit. So I appreciate it more after reading the book scene, actually. Yeah, I look, I think it's one of those scenes that really does play out better in a visual medium. But I did appreciate some little differences in the book. Um, there's a, they kind of played up Daddy's nervousness more in the book. She's really, really nervous about what she's about to do. She's not sure whether she should do it. She's worried about how it's going to play out. And there's a, there's a moment where she thinks to herself, is this what Rhaegar would have done? Um, and she she wonders, you know, 
was Rhaegar that this nervous when he saw Robert Baratheon's host slimed up across the Trident? And then you see mm-hmm. Jenny kind of gathering her courage and she tells herself, it's time to cross the Trident. Uh, I thought that was a really cool little moment cool. in the book chapter. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that uh, for a scene of this magnitude with all these um, things going on, the dragons, the dragon fire, I think, yes, when you when you put it on television, obviously you can use those effects and it really does bring out the best in in that kind of scene. So that's it for the episode, folks. Um, do we have any questions or thank yous? We do. We do have some questions. Well, I thought um, we recently got some news about some casting news. Um, I don't know if you guys want to discuss that. We've... Uh, recently discovered that Ian McShane um, has been <laughs> for season six, which Chicky and I... Is it Christmas? Uh, we Is got it a Christmas little <laughs> uh, we, are, we are big fans. Um, I am a massive Deadwood fan. Like, I adore Deadwood. And Al Swearingen in Game of Thrones is everything <laughs> I never knew I always wanted. Like, yeah. I'm dying over this casting. Yeah, look, what the... Um, so the news was initially... Uh, broken by entertainmentweekly.com. Um, and their sources say that uh, McShane has a relatively small amount of screen time during the season, uh, but they also say that his character is of key importance. So needless to say, there's been a lot of speculation about who he may be playing Um I think the internet has kind of come to a general consensus that it could be one of a few different characters. I think maybe Randall Tarly is the front runner at this stage. Um, people are also thinking he may be Euron Greyjoy. Uh, I've also seen Septon Meribald, the elder brother. Um, I think uh, Maester Marwyn as well. And also maybe mm. one of the Northern Lords that they... So, so basically any anybody. of the adult male characters <laughs> <Yes. in anybody. laughs> other than the clear Dothrakis. Not <laughs> <laughs> the clever boy, Kyle. Or sympathizer number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, what a way. That's the cutest stage. I mean, Randall Tarly, uh, I mean, Randall Tarly makes the most sense, doesn't I, it? Yeah, I mean, I and so like, too. just, I have to, you know. Oh, go ahead, Clotho. No, no, I was just going to say that isn't that you're on, he's, he's too old to play him? Is that the deal? Or? Well, <laughs> not on the show, though, <laughs> because. Aged him up. Yeah, on because- the show. For a man in his forties to late fifties, but I think that um, I think there's a fair bit of leeway in relation yeah. to the kind of so could, yeah. especially um, considering the age well, of the Balon Greyjoy actor. I think that that definitely yes. like, Shane could work yeah. as you're on. Um, I think, yeah. if anything, I think everybody just prefers the idea of Ian McShane as Randall Tarley because he just fits that like a glove. They describe him as uh, Randall Tarley, well, the Randall Tarley character who we are all assuming is Randall Tarley. Uh, one of the greatest soldiers in Westeros, a humorless martinet, severe and intimidating. Oh, that would do it, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yes, I mean... They talk about Ian McShane not having a huge amount of screen time, and both Randall Tully and Ewan Greyjoy do um, suggest that they're very good parts. But then again, very good parts for for characters in Game of Thrones. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to have a lot of screen time. I mean, well, that's really just it. I mean, you know, when you're talking about Peter Dinklage getting, you know, if he's lucky, an hour and twenty minutes of screen time a season. 
I think not getting a lot of screen time isn't really much of an indicator about how big the part will seem on Game of Thrones because no one gets a lot of screen time on Game of Thrones. That's just kind of the the name of yeah, the game with the show. So I have a question: Do they? Because um, I'm not remembering when we come up to season. At what point do they? Is it after the episode airs that they will label people and like IMDb, or do we get kind of will we get this information like you know a month or two before? Well, like we we may it? we may see because a lot of times. Um, especially with actors with smaller roles who are, are, are trying to kind of promote themselves, their agencies will put on their CVs um, what role they may be playing. They'll put a name, maybe a tiny description. Um, and that's that's basically to pat out their resume so that they can get other roles. Um, you're, you're less likely to see that with someone like McShane, but I mean, it's possible. Okay. It's certainly possible. Yeah. That's usually where we get our leads. Um, anything on IMDb, IMDb is kind of like Wikipedia in that users can edit yeah, it. sketchy. So it's yeah. really not that accurate until after an episode has aired, um, generally okay. speaking. Yeah. So you guys, can I tell you something? Yes. Maybe? I had no idea who Ian McShane was. No, get out. Get out. <laughs> get out. No, God, I no. I had to Google it. Like, I knew oh. he was like, oh. <laughs> you guys are my name. I'd seen him in movies and stuff, but yeah. You I all didn't. go watch Deadwood right now. Right <laughs> now. <laughs> I be nice. Uh, all right. Did you did you guys you guys want a question? We got a yeah, maybe. give me a question. <laughs> we have a question. Question. Okay. So this, uh, you know, I didn't write down the name, but I think it was an anon that we got uh, via Tumblr, uh, and they ask, "Why do you think they forgot in season five that Brienne is in love with Jamie? She didn't give a fuck about him in season five. <laughs> That is a good question, my friend. Very good. Question. So I think it's clear she got <laughs> hit in the head. I would explain uh, the extreme out of characterness of Brienne this season. Yes, it would. <laughs> I mean, like, what are the chances? Like, I'm so loquacious that it, it is difficult for me to put myself in that position because she is a quiet character in the books. Pod's a fairly quiet character. He's different, you know, different age in the books. But I'm just thinking to myself, what are the chances you'd never have any kind of deep discussion if you're just sitting there staring out a window? Like, wouldn't you go insane? I don't Dude, know. I, it didn't I, even yes. need to be. It didn't even need to be any sort of deep discussion. I mean, it could have been a little moment. I mean, much like we had with Jamie, who, you know, looked to Tarth and was clearly thinking about Brienne. We didn't really need Brienne and Pod, for example, to have a really um, significant discussion about their I mean, love lives. I mean, it wouldn't have been difficult to... I mean, we, so, you know, we read, I read into things. I was like, oh, she's caressing Oathkeeper. Oh, you know, she's wearing it. She's walking around and she must be thinking about him every day as she rubs her arm. But, you know, it's like, you know, that's I'm thinking fan person reading into it, but I don't know. (laughs) Well, I personally thought that that a Jamie um, moment should have come up in her discussion about Renly and the dance or whatever it was. It would have been that in. Yeah, and I am not sure why they didn't put it in there. No, Anon, you ask a question that I have asked about season five, and it really doesn't make any sense that they didn't. You know, I'm... I'm kind of of two minds. I mean, I, I agree. It makes no sense to me that they wouldn't have included even a brief acknowledgement from Brienne that, you know, Jamie still exists, that he's just thinking about him. <laughs> um, but I feel like it really is dep- it's dependent upon where they're going to go with Jamie and Brienne. I mean, if uh, – hopefully not, but if they've abandoned the idea of reuniting Jamie and Brienne in any sort of romantic scenario – 
maybe they thought that just having Jamie had that little moment with Jamie looking to Tarth, maybe they thought that was enough to provide some closure for that storyline. Um, I don't know. Or <laughs> if they still plan to put Jamie and Brienne together in some capacity romantically in the future, um, Maybe they thought, you know, it's not something we're doing this season. And again, the thing with Jamie may have just been enough to remind viewers that that relationship exists. But to me, yeah, I mean, I agree with you all. I think that it it doesn't make sense not to have some sort of indication from Brienne's side that she's thinking about Jamie because God knows. She spends so much time thinking about him. Well, yeah, and I don't even think we need to rely on the books to say that that's true because on the show they did that thing in in 402 at Joffrey's wedding where Cersei asked Brienne, you know, but you love him. And, and, you know, it was very obvious to me anyway. I realize there are people who deny this, but from from (laughs) Brienne's reaction and the way that Gwen played it, it was clear that that – that question struck home, and it's she does have feelings for Jamie. Yeah, it's not so four oh two. I mean, think about four oh four as well. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that the showrunners intended to put Jamie and Brienne together at some point. They Mine were intending yeah. to follow this thread through. Um, that's why. That's why it's a good question of why they uh, didn't uh, in season five. Like, why well, have, is it possible yeah. that David and Dan got hit in the head? They fell down some stairs. <laughs> I forgot. They really <laughs> I mean, would have kind of explain a lot. That would make me feel better about the choices <laughs> they make. <laughs> oh God, I don't know. I mean, look, there have, we know that there have been some really severe missteps with both Jamie and Brienne's characterizations, and it just seems to be getting worse as the seasons progress. I mean, this season for Jamie was ridiculously bad, and the same for Brienne, really. I mean, even with her limited amount of screen time they managed to kind of butcher her character even more. So I really don't know how they interpret these characters, what they're thinking in terms of their relationship together. I, I'm really at a loss. I'm, I'm not sure, Anon. I, um, I think it's an amazing question. I just I don't think we have an answer for you. I wish we yeah, did. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing we can say is, like, if nothing else, you could say that the production is sending really mixed signals on this question. That's <laughs> Are they going? Are they going, Jamie or Brienne, or Jamie and Brienne, or not? I mean, we honestly, can't, no one can say definitively at this point, yes or no. I mean, we just don't know. So yeah. well, keep watching, I guess. I guess or so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's uh, that's the question. Did you want me to go into thank yous, Gail? Sure. All right. Um, we had a couple of nice comments uh, sent in to us about last week's episode. So I'll do those first. We had one comment by a Twitter uh, from, now I'm not sure how this is pronounced, it's either Bimini or Bimini, uh, who says, great roundtable of a show. I like the use of Valonkaring. <laughs> and that was followed by a thumbs up icon. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, and then there was one on Tumblr uh, from an Anon that says, really enjoyed your latest podcast, guys. Went to the part to listen to it and just lay back and giggled for an hour. I'm a fan of your speculation that's half based on new info and half based on what we as a fandom just want to have happen. So many shipper LOLs at the whole exchange about being pissed if we get a Jamie and Brienne sex scene in the show that's badly lit. So real. <laughs> Hope you're all doing well, smiley face. Thank you, Anon. That's really sweet. Um, and then we got a question from an Anon on Tumblr. Uh, 
I really don't want to pressure you or anything, but I'm curious. Are you still planning to do the Dream podcast? I'm guessing that's the one that had sound issues. I love listening to you and can't wait for the next episode. Oh, yeah. We had a recording issue with that with that episode, and we uh, we were trying to figure out where we could re-slot it into the schedule. We're kind of scheduled, God, all the way into season six, aren't we? <laughs> So yeah, pretty stay much. tuned, stay tuned to hear if, yeah. if we're going to be able to work that one back in. All right. Uh, we got another Anon um, who sent in a question about possible parallels between Duncan and, is it, Ro- would you pronounce it Roanne? Roanne? I think they say Rohan. I mean, this is George, so, you know. Who knows? It could be anything. Whatever the anyway. stupidest pronunciation uh, is, go with that. Yeah, so they are <laughs> <laughs> parallels between Duncan and Rohan and Jamie and Brienne. Um, which we will certainly address in the near future, hopefully. Um, and they I also think we've talked in- about this, actually. We talked about this on the about- World of Ice and Fire episode, and didn't we talk about it on another episode, too? I think we have. Um, but, you know, so we're, we're not going to address it, Chicky. <laughs> well, I'll address it now. I mean, I definitely think it's interesting. I, I mean, you know, like... Clearly, if nothing else, George wants you to kind of get a parallel in your mind between Jamie and Brienne and and Duncan Rohan. I mean, like, there's no question. I mean, there's just a lot about the relationships that seem somewhat similar. So, yeah, I I, I do think that, um, you know, I do think there's a deliberate parallel there. There's really no doubt about it. And the fact that one is Jamie's ancestor and one is most likely Brienne's ancestor is, is, is very clearly there to put you in that mindset. So... Yeah, no. And the fact that they have a romantic relationship is not lost on me either. So, yeah, no, I think it's deliberate. Awesome. Uh, and that Anon also ended their message with, it's always a joy uh, tuning into you guys each week. So thank you for that, Anon. Uh, and the last message we got, uh, also from Tumblr, is from Faith Daily Dreams. Uh, and she says, here it is. I'm finally saying it. Oh, my God. I love you guys. You're the best, but I'm sure you already know that from all your other listeners. I just want to point out that this is a fact, and she's got a little heart next to that. Oh, that Um, was that was such a nice note. The day that we got it to, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, she says, I've been your mystery knight listening to you guys since almost the beginning. It was oh, wow. a random happenstance, but I was so happy to find your podcast on iTunes, especially since you focus on Jamie and Brienne. I've just been too shy to say anything. Sorry. Hopefully you'll talk more about the fandom itself, fan art and fan fictions, fan creations, etc. And why? How much do you consume? Do you create for the fandom? Uh, I know Lot uses her artistic skill for the fandom. The topic is interesting on the edge of meta. Uh, anyway, then she says, thanks for reading. And then she finishes it by saying, hides behind a rock. <laughs> oh, that was so great. We needed that the day that we got it too. So thank you so much for sending that message because it was awesome. And also, I don't know if it made it onto our list of upcoming episodes, but we are going to have a fan creation episode. Is it just fanfic? I can't remember. This particular um, one coming up is fan fiction. So, um, sometime in September, I think, is when it's recording. I, Lot is heading that one up, and she has got like a star studded panel of, of fic authors that she's working on putting together. Oh, awesome. um, so, it should, be, it should be really fun for everyone i would imagine and probably 
to um, just put out a message that if any of you have any particular questions uh, about fan fiction or fan fiction in fandom, you can send those through to us now. But if you stay tuned, we will put a message up on our Tumblr with more information. Uh, so that's all for thank yous, guys. I think we had a couple more. Um, we had a question come in to Podbean from Kevin. It was actually on an episode. It was on our episode from a couple of weeks ago, the Game of Thrones oh. 303. And he brought up a really good point about, um, actually, I brought this up earlier too, about uh, when I talked about on that episode, I think it was me saying that, that Brienne didn't have any scenes from her point of view in season three. And he actually said, um, would we consider the bathtub scene? to have been from Brian's point of view. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't I don't know that I would consider that from Brian's point of view. I mean it I definitely think so. I think it's a Jamie point of view. I feel the same. I feel the same. Yeah. Um, I mean I understand why you would suggest that it's a Brienne point of view because, you know, Brienne's the one watching and taking it all in, but it didn't mm. it didn't feel like a Brienne point of view scene to me. Yeah, it didn't to me. I, I, I don't know, maybe if we'd started more over her shoulder. I'm not sure. Um, and then we <laughs> we had a funny question from um, Dreaming Living Out Loud on Tumblr, and that was, um, by the way, do any of you have Instagram? And that is so funny. No, we do <laughs> not have a podcast Instagram. <laughs> what would we Instagram? That's I don't private, even know. Okay? That's private. <laughs> <laughs> what would we do? Like take pictures of ourselves recording podcasts? It'd be funny. Me <laughs> 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 holding gin. You in a sports bra? <laughs> pets. Pictures of pets. <laughs> the cats who interrupt well, I podcasts. I think that's it. That's yes. it. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's it, you guys. Oh, um, thanks for tuning in to If I Look Back, I'm Lost. There might be another episode of <laughs> season eight. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see where oh, our God. girl Danny's going. <laughs> uh, Maybe we should just mention uh, if you would also like to send us a message, uh, you can find us uh, at closedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at door podcast. Uh, you can email us uh, at closedoorand at gmail.com. Uh, we are also on iTunes. If you want to leave a review or rate us there, that would be fantastic Please. because it helps our visibility on iTunes. And we also have Patreon, so if you feel so inclined to uh, send a little bit of money our way to help keep us uh, keep this thing going, then that would be very greatly appreciated also. Yes. And if uh, you have any hate mail, you can direct that directly <laughs> to me, Kyle and Subterfuge. Um, I will take it. I'll especially take it for this episode. I feel personally <laughs> responsible. If you want, if you want to chat uh, about Danny, if you want to talk about Danny, let me know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, big thanks to our first time moderator, Guile, who we just kind of threw in sink yeah. or swim with this one. You did a great job, buddy. Thanks for doing She's it. Great. Yeah. And also, it's kind of a big thank you to Doxa, our first yes. time guest. Yes. Amazing. We're so excited Yay, to have Doxa. Thank you for She's been me be here. Good. We, you've been such a great supporter of the podcast. We're so happy that you're here. We were really excited for you to be on an episode. Yay. It's cool. <laughs> All right, Gal. Well, take us you out. Know, guys, next time. Yeah, next time, you guys. It's bath boners. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. Can't wait. It's coming. <laughs> and so is Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good night, everybody. Bye. Good night. Always fun. Bye.